Matt is new to our church last spring. I think that's right, isn't it? And we're very excited to have Matt and Meredith uh, with us. So thank you, Matt. And, you know, for weeks, this is funny how I can't believe it's been this long, but, I, it, but it's since September. I've literally been waiting to say, you know, we've had some, some comings and goings on our, our church worship team. And I'm not sure that we've ever talked about this. I look for Danny to see if he can affirm. Um, yeah, Danny, yeah, we've never really talked about this. Uh, Mark, who is one of our guitarists, he's retired and, and traveling the country, but he'll be back with us at some point. Um, I know Jennifer, who is one of the singers up here, she had this cool opportunity. She's also a pianist, and she had this cool opportunity to help lead worship at uh, one of the Preston churches just down the road, and so she just uh, said, yes, you know, I'll come and help out, and she is now one of their regular pianists there. And, and so we've lost a few people we've also are gaining a few people and if god has given you the gift of being a musician then you should come talk to me or come talk to danny and even if it's something that's a little rusty and in the background um you know we can work with you and 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 help coach you along so that's something that i just throw out there uh, because i'm always surprised when people are like oh yeah i'm a professional guitarist and you're like okay but maybe you're not a professional guitarist, but you have lots and lots and lots of uh, experience that maybe is just in the rearview mirror a little bit. That's awesome too. So uh, we're always looking for help in our tech booth and also up front here. It's what makes worship go for us on Sunday mornings. Well, uh, just as a way to, if, if you just joined us either online or you missed the announcements, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, you'll notice all the beautiful decor around us. This is the first Sunday to start reading your Advent scriptures, and as Dell encouraged us last week, that's something we want to do out loud. Let yourself listen. It takes, I don't know, five minutes, maybe seven minutes if you read through the scripture and the prayer each day, and to be able to do that as a family or individually is something that will bless our journey together. And we have a new series that we're just starting for Advent 2021, and I've decided to call it Advent 2021. <laughs> it's pretty creative, pretty creative. Um, and the first few years that I was a pastor, I was on staff at another church, and the senior pastor was the, the person who preached all the time. I started out as the youth pastor. And uh, so he would let me moonlight in the pulpit every now and then, and he would just, you know, at, like at a staff meeting, he would say, okay, you're going to preach this week and just pick something. And I would kind of look at him, you know, I'm new to this. And he would say, yeah, you know, just pull something out of your file and just, you know, anything. And I'm like, I don't have a file, okay? You got you to gotta help me out here, you know, give me something to work on. And he would just, he didn't, he wasn't a big fan of sermon series, he'd just kind of pull things together and uh, he was very extemporaneous, which I am not. And, and so I came to his office once. I'm like, you know, I, I'm just going to offer to like, let's collaborate, brainstorm together. And, and I said, how about I do the Advent sermon series? And I really thought I'd get a lot of resistance, you know, that he would be like, no, I got it. Thank you. But no, thanks. But instead, he had what I would describe as a look of glee, really. <laughs> he was like, really? You do that? And I'm like, mm, yeah. And he was like, okay. <laughs> Big grin, and I walked out of his office thinking, what have I just done? 
Like, there's a little more to this. And my plan all along had been to just uh, work through Advent scriptures like I had at the church that I grew up in. And I remember it told the story of the coming of Jesus. And um, having just been to seminary, I knew that the Advent scriptures, that this could be found in something called the lectionary. It's this, like, uh, church dictionary of scriptures and dates and um, um, lost to time. Actually, not. A lot of churches follow the lectionary religiously. So I pull it out and I look at it and I realize that my entire childhood has been a lie. Because Advent scriptures are kind of gloomy. I realize that what I grew up on, you know, the lighting of the candle and all that, they were really the nativity scriptures that start on Christmas Eve. That's like when all the warm, fuzzy animals are around the, the manger, you know, the angels. That's where all the action is at. That's what we want to get to. No, the Advent scriptures are melancholy, moody, depressing. And this is why I suddenly realized my senior pastor was so excited to say, yeah, yeah, go ahead and do that, sucker. <laughs> so over the years, I've learned to kind of avoid these texts um, but we're not going to avoid them this year. You know why? Because we're all depressed. Come on. <laughs> no, not true. They are so relevant, I think, to where we are at as, as people, as a church, and in our society. Um, as Dell said last week, why he loves Advent is it represents hope for something better. They're so appropriate for this time of year, not because they're angsty and, and, and moody. They're so relevant because they're full of longing. This plan that God has it figured out, that there is indeed a plan for the mess that we find ourselves in. There is indeed hope. The birth of Jesus was actually just the start of this plan, and the best is yet to come. So the reality for so many of us is that this time of year, this season can be pretty dark, pretty lonely. And Advent isn't about whitewashing all of our struggles and just being happy for a moment. You know, putting on the plastic smile and sending out the Christmas cards that say life is fine. How are you doing? Fine. Christmas is fine. That's, what, that's not what Advent is about. Advent is about having faith in God's promises. It's about knowing that in him there is hope for all of us. Advent is about longing for the day that Christ comes again. And so this might be the most relevant church season we have going right now, and the prophet Jeremiah is going to show us how and why this morning. So our Advent scripture reading was from a passage today from Jeremiah 33. And I'd like to read, I'm going to kind of work my way through this passage as we spend time together this morning, and I'm going to read from the beginning of the chapter. We kind of started right in the middle. I'm going to read from the beginning. And here's Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 3. While Jeremiah the prophet was still confined in the courtyard of the guard, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. This is what the Lord says. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So Jeremiah 
in spite of popular belief, was not a bullfrog. He was a prophet, okay? Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a prophet in the Old Testament, one of the most prominent major prophets that the nation of Israel ever had. And he lived at one of the most pivotal times in Judah's history. The nation of Israel was split into northern kingdoms and southern kingdoms by this time. The northern kingdom was long gone. 722 B.C., the Assyrians came and and captured them, wiped them out. They're not there. The southern kingdom named Judah was still there. So this is 586 B.C., and it's going to be there for about another five minutes from when this scripture occurred, okay? The Babylonians are right outside the gates of Jerusalem. They're building siege, um, I don't even know what you call them, siege ramps, right? You know, we think of this as like the army shows up and then a couple days later, no, this, this would have taken months and months and months and months, maybe a year for them to build a dirt ramp, you know, bucket by, or basket by basket next to the city wall until they get to the top and all these angry violent soldiers pour over and the city surrenders. So here's Jeremiah just kind of waiting, the whole city waiting for this to happen, the inevitable to happen or, or for God to rescue them in some very miraculous way. And uh, he had a very difficult job. He heard the literal word of the Lord spoken to him. And as a prophet, his job was to repeat that word to the relevant people involved. Often those were the people in charge, the people in power, like the king. And often prophets didn't have a real happy message. And so Jeremiah finds himself confined in the courtyard of the guard. So think of the palace. There's a couple different layers to it in the outer courtyard is the one that he's stuck in. And he's stuck there because he was a public relations nightmare. He's telling the king and lots of other people in Jerusalem, you are going to fail. So if you're the king, are you going to let a person like that just merrily walk his way around the streets? No, you're going to shut him up. And so he confines him like under house arrest inside the courtyard so that he can't continue to bring the morale of the city down. But Jeremiah is saying, you guys are doomed. King Zedekiah was the king in charge. His name means righteous, or the Lord is my righteousness. He's anything but righteous. He's a very weak leader. He could have done any number of things to help Israel repent of its sin, turn from all of its idolatrous ways back to the Lord to depend on him, but he didn't do it. He just maintained the status quo. And so judgment in the form of the Babylonians is knocking on his door. Everyone inside the city of Jerusalem is just waiting to die. And so here's Jeremiah. How would you feel in this moment? The city is surrounded. You're under house arrest. It looks pretty bleak. And then the word of the Lord comes. And says, he who made the earth, this is verse 2, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So the, the word, the name for the Lord here is in all caps. That's a clue to us 
that this is like the sacred name of God. The Jews didn't write it out. The name is Yahweh. Yahweh was the name revealed to, no, to Moses. And it means, it's hard to, it's hard, it means, hard to translate. It means I am or I exist. I've always appreciated this, loved this. You think about, well, is God real? And where did he come from? God answers that question by simply saying, yep, I am. I exist. But what's amazing about this name, it's not meant to like dodge the topic. It's not meant to um, be condescending in any way, shape, or form. It's meant to be the sacred name of God revealed in the most personal way to you and me. So here's the one who's always existed, the one who formed the earth and the heavens, and he invites Jeremiah, call on me. Call on me. And you know, it's not just spiritual superstars and prophets like Jeremiah who can call on the Lord. God invites you. God invites me. God invites anyone to use his name, to call on him. You know, we can all accept the invitation of the Lord and call on him no matter how many odds seem stacked against us. God says, call on me, call on me. And then the Lord next tells Jeremiah to do something a little strange. He says, you know what, Jeremiah? And this wasn't in the text that we read this morning, but it's afterwards. He says, Jeremiah, not only can you call on me, I've got something for you to do. I want you to go buy some land. And it's the strangest thing. I mean, the city's under siege. You know, the Babylonians are rampaging through the countryside. And his, uh, his cousin, who I'm convinced must have been named Vinny, like he was part of the Jerusalem mob or something, um, he shows up and he's like, I think you should buy the family farm. And Jeremiah's like, okay, I'll do that. It's symbolic. It's sending a message. God's telling Jeremiah, like, go not buy the farm, literally, but buy the family farm because it signifies better times are ahead. Why would the prophet of doom, the one who says, hey, we're going to lose, the Babylonians are here in the form of God's judgment to conquer us, why would this prophet then suddenly go buy a vineyard or an orchard or this land that he's going to farm later? It's dumb. But it was God's message, a way of sending hope like, hey, there's, there's a future ahead for the people of Israel. And um, this is kind of how biblical hope works. That had to have been very reassuring for people in Jeremiah's time, even though the immediate future looked pretty bleak. But God's hope is always ahead of us. The way God's hope works is that it's after whatever terrible, dark thing we're terrified of happens. You see, our, how this is different from us, there's this whole like instead and in spite of thing that happens. Like, I want God to intervene 
instead of whatever hard times or difficult things or trial that I might face. I want God to to intervene instead of that. God's hope comes in spite of that. Our hope is often crushed and wiped out when we have some really terrible, calamitous thing happen in our life. God's hope is different. It takes root in those hard circumstances. It's so easy for us, human nature, I guess, to want to avoid the pain and discomfort of hard times. We hope for the good times instead of the hard times, but God's hope comes in spite of it. And so here we are, Thanksgiving or the start of Advent 2021, and I want you to think for just a moment. How does that whole idea sit with you? The whole idea that God's, come, God's hope always comes after whatever hard thing that we're facing. Even though we pray fervently that God would just rescue us and take us out from this. Maybe he will. I hope he does. But if he doesn't, what then? God's people have always known that God is with us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's walking through these very difficult times. I mean, even in the midst of trial and pain, we can experience God's hope, even joy. It's hope for healing. It's hope for strength. It's hope for redemption, that he would take whatever mess our life is in and somehow transform it. That's the God that we believe in. He's a God of new life. And so here in Jeremiah, God wants his people to understand that he hasn't abandoned them. They have a future. And even though the Babylonians are knocking on their door, about to lay waste to the entire city, the Lord instructs Jeremiah. He says, this is what the Lord says. You say about this place, Jeremiah. It is a desolate waste without people or animals. Well, this is really hopeful, God. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. And so I want to ask you another question this morning in your life. What are the sounds of joy and gladness that you hear? Are there any? What are the sounds? What, and if you can imagine sounds of joy and gladness, what are they? Maybe it's the laughter of children playing. It's a winning touchdown or a goal. It could be the sound of conversation over a Thanksgiving table. Perhaps it's a wedding reception or prayers of gratitude like it said in the scripture. And so if you were just to imagine that sound, if you can stay with that emotion long enough, can you give thanks to the Lord Almighty for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. You know, there are definitely times, even season in our life, where it's difficult to say those words with any sort of conviction. 
let alone to mean them. Sometimes our lives are so hard that we think of just the opposite. The Lord is not good. But maybe another question to consider is, is there a desolate waste in your life right now? A place that feels devoid of life. There's no people, there's no animals. It's just scorched earth right now for me. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's your marriage. For many of us, the COVID years have felt desolate, empty for a really long time. You know, this Thanksgiving for me was probably the first one in three or four years that I wasn't just dreading. And after I lost my sister a few years ago and then my dad a year later, um, it was really hard to talk to just my mom on holidays. I dreaded it. It felt like rubbing salt in a festering wound. But it was very different this year. At some point, you just start to see life in the desert. What was a desolate waste is not that way anymore. And I understand that God's promises bring hope in spite of my trials, even though I'd rather it would be instead. You know, I wonder how Jeremiah felt about all this. He still knows that there's much pain and suffering coming, but God wants him God wants us to remember the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. God wants us to remember his love endures forever. His love endures forever. Love, in the Hebrew, it's this beautiful word. It's hesed. No one knows how to translate it. It means all sorts of things. It means love. It means God's mercy. It means God's kindness, his goodness, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his steadfast love. Man, this week I was thinking steadfast love. How many people, I mean, when when you say that word, who comes to mind in your life? Do you have a person in your life that you say, man, that person embodies steadfast love? I hope you do. I know that that's not the experience of all of us. But God's love is steadfast. It doesn't go anywhere. It's in park. It's not moving. It's here yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's God's love. He's faithful. And so God's promise to Jeremiah, God's promise to God's people, it's as good then as it is now. He's going to bring us from a place of desolation to one that's full of of life to a place that's full of love. That's the hope that we have in God. And it's fair to ask, when is this all going to happen, God? Or what could possibly bring this about? But the better question is, who? Who could bring this about? That's Advent. That's why we light these candles every single year. That's why we read these scriptures It's the days are coming, declares the Lord in verse 14, what we read this morning. When I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah, in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch, a sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem will live in safety 
This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Jeremiah is declaring for generations to come that the days are near. They're almost here when a righteous branch will sprout from David's line. He's talking about Jesus. And so here we set 2,000 years later, actually 2,500, 2,600 years later from the time of Jeremiah. And God's people are still waiting. We're still waiting. I say that not because I'm upset. I say that because we haven't missed out. We haven't missed out on God's hope. There's still hope for us. The first advent came and went. Jesus was born. Jesus lived. Jesus died and rose again. And when he ascended into heaven, he gave us his word that he'll be back again. And so the promises left unfulfilled, God will make good for us because his love endures forever. And God has not forgotten us. So what that means is that even if you're still on one side of that valley of the shadow of death and you're looking across and thinking, I don't know how I'm going to make it, guess what? You can make it. Because God is with you. God has not abandoned. God has not forgotten. God has not cast you off or punishing you. No, God is walking with you and beside you and before you and behind you. The Lord Almighty wants us to know that he will fulfill the good promise. He wants us to hear the sounds of joy and gladness once again, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, and they say, give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. And that's why I can't help but think it's why we celebrate Advent this year. It's for the presence. It's for the peace. It's for the promise of Jesus in us that we remember right here and now. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. Please join me in prayer. Lord, you are our hope. You're our peace. You're both our promise and unfulfilled promise. And we are so grateful. So please help us, Lord, as we begin this first Sunday of Advent and, and we walk through this really super busy time of year to not forget what this is all about. It is for our longing. I mean, there are things that are really broken in our lives and in this world that we just don't understand. In fact, we're frustrated and exhausted by them, God. But help us not to despair or to become disillusioned with you. You still care. You are still with us. And there is hope. And so we proclaim that, we cling to that, Lord, this Advent, this year. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.